Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. Turn with me to the book of John, chapter 3. Book of John, chapter 3. John chapter 3 and verse 3. We're going to start with one real quick short verse. And then we're going to dive in and read a lot of scripture today. Uh, We read a lot of scripture last week. We read about half the New Testament last week. We're going to read the other half this week, so there's no jealousy. Um, No, we have a lot of scripture. If you get lost, if you can't write down everything fast enough, I'd be happy to share my notes with you. Or you can go to the YouVersion Bible app. Go to the event that's set up for our church. You can search our church and then go to the event that's set up for today. And all of the scripture references that I'll use, all of the points are there on that event. Okay, so however we can serve you, however we can help you, that's great. Because here's what we'd like, what, what I would like for you to do. I'd like for you to, to take this message and then take it home and just, uh, we're in Harrelson County. Can I say this? Wrestle with it. All right? Just deal with it. Look at it for yourself. Look in the word. I don't ever want you to just take my word for it because my word is no good in eternity. This word is the key to eternity. So make sure that the things that I'm saying, the things that you're believing are lining up with this book right here. Okay. Um, So we're going to start today in John chapter three, verse three, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. (laughs) You know, Jesus is the truth. So everything he said was the truth, but when he goes to the trouble of saying, I'm telling you the truth, it's like for real the truth. (laughs) It's double truth, all right? Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Lord, would you uh, shine your light in our hearts and minds today? Would you open the eyes of our hearts spiritually? I pray that you help us to see what your word says. Help us to see it, to understand it, to believe it, to build our lives on it. Because ultimately, heaven and earth will pass away, but your word lasts forever. Help us to see what your word says today about about being born again, about being saved. Lord, may may all of the objections, all of our, uh, everything fall. And may we just bow ourselves uh, at your feet today and listen to what your spirit wants to teach us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Last week, we started a brand new series called The Reborn Identity. The Reborn Identity. Jesus said we have to be born again. We have to be reborn. And that rebirth is what helps us understand our identity in Christ who we are, who we belong to, what truths define our lives, what rights and responsibilities we have. All of that goes into our identity and all of that is launched by being reborn or born again. So, but what does that mean? What does it mean to be born again? The man that Jesus said that verse to uh, 2000 years ago was named Nicodemus. And when Jesus said that to him, he said, say what? 
So this concept of, of being born again is a little confusing. You, you have to break it down, find out what it means. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're looking at as we begin this series. So our first message last week was called, I am saved. And we looked at the declarations that you can make. You can honestly make over yourself. If you can say that you're saved, if you have been saved, if you've been born again, then you can say, I am chosen. I am chosen by God who knows me completely and loves me anyway. You can say, I am rescued from the kingdom of darkness and I am transferred into God's kingdom of marvelous light. You can say, I am redeemed. That means I've been bought back by the precious blood of Jesus. You can say, I am forgiven. That means I've been released from the penalty of sin when Jesus was crucified. And you can say, I am resurrected. We were dead. According to Ephesians chapter one, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but because Jesus died and rose again, we were resurrected. We were raised back to life as well. And all of that is wrapped up in that one declaration that I am saved. Now, today I want us to continue to talk about this concept of salvation, this concept of being born again, because for many people, especially in America and especially in the South, we think of salvation as this isolated event that happened in like 30 seconds. And that's the way we present the gospel in America, unfortunately. It's raise your hand, it's sign the card, it's shake the hand, it's repeat the magic prayer, and boom, you're done with everything spiritual that you'll ever have to do in your life. And the problem with that is though it sounds really convenient, the problem is it bears no resemblance to what salvation is in the word of God. And that's a problem. That's a problem. So uh, today we're going to, the, the message is called, um, I am a work in progress. And Lord, ain't that the truth, right? I am a work in progress. And we're going to continue to read a lot of scripture so that you can see the components of salvation described in the Bible that don't fit with the American concept of, of salvation. Because salvation is really not so much a response to a plan as it is a response to an invitation to a relationship, a relationship with the eternal Savior. It's not a checklist. It's not a bunch of boxes. It's a relationship with an eternal Savior. So I want to say this right off the bat. I'm not going to get everything right. Um, I'm not going to say everything the way everybody wishes I would say everything because it's difficult to use a finite set of words to try and describe a relationship with an infinite God. So it would be a little bit like trying to describe your marriage using only the 200 sight words that they give you in first grade. All right. Um, you could do it. You might actually even be nice, but it's not going to be the complete picture, right? So I don't get hung up if I don't, if I use a word uh, imprecisely or one that you would that not, not, if I don't use the one you would prefer, because I'm just trying to, I'm trying to convey the limitless goodness, uh, goodness of God with a limited vocabulary and in a limited amount of time. Okay. So also, um, as we talk about salvation today, uh, some will, will think that it is an oversimplification of the salvation process and, and they'd probably be right. On the other hand, some people are going to hear what we're going to talk about today and say, you're making it way too complicated. 
And you'd also probably be right. Um, I, I think you could present salvation far more simply than I'm going to present it today. And I think you could spend weeks and weeks and weeks breaking it down in far greater detail than I'm going to do today. But I, I think it's important for you to see salvation today in the lens that we're going to look through because you need to see a big picture and see how some things are coming together. Okay, so let's put on our scuba gear spiritually and let's kind of dive deep today and see what salvation looks like in the word of God. Is everybody ready? Did, y'all, did anybody get a little claustrophobic when I talked about scuba gear? Yeah, me too. So uh, that's why I stay out of the water. Stay out of the water. All right. So uh, full disclosure, I, I, I bounced some ideas uh, off uh, Pastor Mark, our friend, uh, Pastor Mark Stroud from Kingdom Rock. Uh, when he gets excited about a message, he he runs some things past me and I get excited about something. I run some things past him. So uh, if you hear something today that sounds particularly good, let's just all assume that it came from Pastor Mark. Okay. That will just, that'll be our operating assumption. Um, we're going to dive in with kind of four foundational scriptures. Um, Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. You can't talk about salvation without reading this verse. For by grace, are you saved? You are saved. It's been done through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. So we didn't do anything to deserve it. Amen. First Corinthians chapter one and verse 18. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. We're being saved. Present tense. Second uh, Corinthians chapter two and verse 15. Our lives are a Christ like fragrance rising up to God. When you hear people say uh, that your whole lifestyle is worship, that's the biblical basis for that. Our lives are a fragrance of worship rising up to God, but this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. All right. Romans chapter five, verses nine and 10. Since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, uh, he will certainly, he will save us from God's condemnation for our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son. While we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Now these scriptures are make it clear because they use different verb tenses that salvation is something that, that can be seen or or perceived or that happens from three different perspectives. Okay. Past, present, and future. And I find myself wanting to say there's stages of salvation, but that's way too clean because with stages, it's kind of a checklist and you complete one, you move on to another, but relationships are a lot messier than that. All right. So they're, they're kind of intertwined and and messy. So in one sense, salvation is done. It's finished. It, it, it happened when you repented and confessed and believed by grace through faith, you have been saved. Okay. In another sense, salvation won't really be fully realized until we stand before the father. Uh, Our, he says, lift up your eyes because our redemption, our salvation draws near. It's, it's out there in the future, but it's coming closer. We will be saved at that time. And in yet another sense, salvation is happening right now. One day, one moment at a time. Paul said that, that those of us who are being 
saved in process. So John, which one is it? And the answer to that is yes. It's all of those things. We, we just saw it in the scripture. It's all of that. Salvation is all at once finished and future and happening right now. If we only focus on one aspect of that, you'll misunderstand what salvation is. It's a little bit like people who say, well, I don't believe in hell because God is love and a loving God would never send anybody to hell. So what are, what are they missing? God is love, but he's not only love, right? He's not only love. God's also just. God's also patient. He's also truth and a thousand other attributes of God. So to isolate God's character and God's nature to one thing to the exclusion of all those other things gives you a warped understanding of who God is. And it's the same principle that we're dealing with here. This is why it's important. We have to know how to live in regards to our salvation. It's a foundational, it's the foundational part of our identity. We talk about, we, we are who God says we are. Well, what's, who is that? What does God say we are? And more importantly, who does God say we are? So we have to understand salvation if we're going to understand who we are. It's all wrapped up in our spiritual identity. And if we don't see salvation for what it is, then our, our, our spiritual identity is going to be warped. Now, here's what I mean. And all of you have seen people or know people who are stuck in one of these levels. There are some people who believe salvation is only this finished event that they said, they, they said the magic words, they signed the card. And, and if, you, if you believe in only that it's finished, then you never engage in the refining process. You don't produce fruit. You don't ever become like him, which is the whole point of salvation according to scripture. On the other hand, if you believe salvation is only this future event that will happen someday by and by when we stand before the Lord, then you just kind of hold your breath and hope you make it in. And then on the other hand, depending on how many hands you have, that's for those of you keeping score, that's three hands now. If you believe salvation is something that you have to, that, that's going on right now and only right now, that you have to earn your salvation every day, then you'll work yourself to death trying to be good enough and, and then very quickly drive yourself crazy because you know you can't be good enough to live up to God's perfection, God's standard of perfection. Okay, so you have to see salvation in all of its biblical glory. It's finished, it's future, and it's active and happening right now. Okay, now here's another way to describe it. There's a positional aspect of salvation, a positional aspect. There's a perfected aspect, and then there's a practical aspect. The positional aspect is what God has given to you because of Jesus it's imputed. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. It's just given to you. It's positional. He, he's made you that way because Jesus is our substitute. There's a perfected aspect that God is planning for us when we leave this world. And then there's this practical aspect of what God's doing in us as we walk in surrender to him every day of our lives. So we are created in the image of God right? And, and that means being a three-part being. First Corinthians chapter five and verse 23 says it, that we are body, soul, and spirit, body, soul, and spirit, three parts. Salvation affects all three parts, but in different ways. And in some senses in different times, 
Okay. So there are three aspects of salvation that we need to talk about today. These are big theological words. Like these are $2 words. Um, so feel free to drop them in a conversation today, but it's also important that you understand what they mean for us today. All right. So I want to show you how salvation comes together. Uh, the first is justification, justification. And I want to show it to you in Romans chapter eight, verse 30. Uh, Paul said those he predestined, he also called those he called. We talked about called last week. He also justified. So there's justification and those he justified, he also glorified. And we'll talk about glorification in a minute. All right. So you see the word justification. What does justification mean? It means that you've not just been forgiven, not just that you're released from the penalty of sin, not just that you're raised back to life. Justification takes it further. Forgiveness says you're guilty, but I'm commuting your sentence. You're guilty, but you don't have to suffer the penalty of your sentence. Justification is a declaration that you're not guilty anymore. And not only are you not guilty, but you're acceptable to God and, and counted as righteous. You see the difference from being guilty, but not punished and being not guilty and completely accepted by God. You do see that, right? You see the difference and it's a good difference. Okay. If every once in a while, somebody could just could say, uh, hallelujah or amen or anything, any signs of life, that'd be, that'd be great. Okay. Now, let me show it to you in scripture, Romans chapter three, verses 23 and 24. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet, God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. Not just forgiven, righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of sin. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 30. God has united you with Christ Jesus. Again, not just forgiven you and sent you out, united you. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God and made us pure and holy and freed us from sin. Romans chapter 15 and verse seven. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. Why in the world would God do that? Why would he justify us? Because he's good, because he wanted to, because he loves you. Go back and listen to the message from last week and, and read all the scriptures that, that I quoted. Almost every one of them said he chose you and he loves you. He loves you and he chose you over and over again. It's all because he loves us. So justification is important because it means we haven't just found God's mercy. We found God's favor. We found his favor. He didn't just wipe our sins away and then send us out. He opened his arms and brought us close. So in his eyes, we're family. We're family now because we have the blood of Jesus applied to our lives. Justification is important because it eliminates condemnation. Even when you're forgiven, you still carry the guilt of having done the offense. You, you did it. You just had your sentence commuted. Justification, on the other hand, wipes your record clean. No arrest, no conviction, nothing. Just completely expunged. Some people consider what it's like to be justified by saying, it's just as if I'd never sinned. 
You see that? And I think that's a great way to, to, to look at it. As, as far as God's concerned, it never happened. It never happened. And you can't be condemned over what never happened. Right? So stop beating yourself up over what you did before you, before you came to Jesus. You shouldn't glory in it. It's not the good old days. Like don't gather everybody around the campfire and tell them how horrible you were as if you're reliving those pleasantly, you were going to hell. There's nothing pleasant. There's nothing good about those days, but neither should you hang your head in shame and condemnation about it. Because once you've been saved, justification says it's forgiven, forgotten for good. Justification is, is, is part of the salvation process that is finished. It's done. It's complete. So it was accomplished by Jesus and we received it by grace through faith. And so it's, it's completely accurate to say I am or I have been saved as a finished work of justification. Your spirit, remember we're body, soul, and spirit. Your spirit has been rescued and transferred and redeemed from the devil's kingdom. And you've been given the same position uh, that, uh, of Christ as, a, as an heir and a joint heir with Christ in the kingdom of God. So when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. So positionally, we are holy and pure and just and spotless. So we can sing that song with confidence today because it's done. Right? So that's good news. Then we look in the mirror. Right? We look in the mirror and, we, and what we see in the mirror doesn't match what we believe has already happened. And we sort of instinctively recognize that we're never going to be complete in, in, in reality until God calls us home. Like we're gonna be a work in progress the whole time. And that brings us to the next perspective or the next aspect of salvation, and that's glorification. Glorification. It was referenced in that, uh, in that verse we read just a minute ago. Let me show you three other places. Romans chapter eight, verse 23 through 25. And we believers also groan. Um, believers do a lot of whining too, but that's not what we're talking about. We, we also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future, what? Glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as adopted children. So we don't have everything we're going to have, including the new bodies that he's promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved, but look at this parenthetical that Paul says, if we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. So he's saying there's something still coming that we don't have yet. But if we look forward to something we don't have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Uh, look at uh, the next verse at, at, at Philippians one and six. I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished. And when will that happen? On the day when Jesus Christ returns. Colossians chapter three and verse four. When Christ, how many times have I read this scripture in the last month? I, I, I love it. When Christ who is your life is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his, what? Glory. Glorification is what we're talking about. There is something that we haven't received yet. 
right? That we hope for it, we long for it, we groan for it, but we haven't received it yet. It's when this body will receive glorification. The spirit was saved through justification. The body will be saved through glorification, but it's a promise that we have to wait for, right? As good, you can look at your neighbor, as good as they look, they are not glorified yet, right? It's a promise that we're still waiting to receive. That's the future aspect or the perfected aspect of salvation. Let me show you to what it looks like in the word because this is exciting. Dear friends, we are already God's children, right? So there's already a part that's done, but we, uh, we, but he has not shown us yet what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he's pure. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we're to be pitied more than anybody in the world. You weren't just saved to make this your best life. If this is your best life, you have chosen way, way, way too low. There is a life coming that he has promised and prepared for us. And if this is your best life, you're miserable, Paul said, by comparison. Here's verse, verses 42 through 44. This, you've probably heard this at, at uh, half the funerals you've ever been to. Uh, it's the same way with the resurrection of the dead, Paul says. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they'll be raised in what? Glory. They're buried in weakness. They'll be raised in strength. They're buried as natural human bodies. They'll be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. Praise the Lord. This is the best trade-in offer you're ever going to be given. One of these days, this mortal body will be exchanged for an immortal body. God will take this body that we have war slap out. How many miles have we put on these bodies? And he's going to exchange it for one that will never die and never wear out. That is an incredible deal right? So we, we've talked about the justification part. We've talked about the glorification part. What about the part that's happening right now? What about the part that's still sort of in progress? And that part is called sanctification. Sanctification. All right. The word sanctification or sanctified means to be set apart. And it's used all over the Bible. I'm not even going to start to read all the, all the places that it talks about sanctification. All right. In salvation, God chooses us and he sets us apart. We're set apart. We aren't just, y'all follow this. Okay. We aren't just saved from something. We're saved to something. We always think, oh, God, Jesus saved me from the pits of hell. And yes, he did. But he didn't only save you from something. He saved you to something. Ephesians chapter two and verse 10, it says, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew or recreated us in Christ Jesus. Why? So that we could be saved from the pits of hell. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. He 
created us or recreated us to do something, to do good works that he had prepared for us to do long ago. Just like we weren't resurrected to our own life or to our old life, we weren't saved just to sit on a shelf and look cute. We were saved, we were sanctified, we were set apart to serve, to sacrifice, to, to may I use the word suffer in church today, to die to ourselves, to see that his kingdom come and his will be accomplished on the earth. And that's nothing like the Americanized version of the gospel where Jesus gets on your team and helps you, helps you achieve all of your goals and your dreams and your aspirations. Being saved means we submit everything in our lives to the purposes of God that now we live to love God and love others. Now we live to go and make disciples. And in that sense, our sanctification, our setting apart is complete. We have been set apart. But there's, a, there's an aspect of being set apart that involves what's going on right now. It involves what we think and how we feel and the decisions that we make. And that's our soul, our mind, will, and emotions. And, and that, and all of that stuff leads to how we live. And that's what Jesus was talking about when he said this in John 15 and 17, he said, the world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you're no longer a part of the world. I chose you to come out. He set us apart from the world. And because of that, it hates you. That's where we get the, the thing that you hear Christians say a lot, that we are in the world, but we're not of the world, right? Jesus is saying, I've set you apart and that makes you different. You don't think, you don't act, you don't feel like they do in the world anymore. And so they hate you. So there's something about salvation that involves separating yourself, setting yourself apart from the world and the world system. I want to show you in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. Don't love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love this world, listen, when you love this world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. Those two things don't coexist. So we are set apart to do good works for the kingdom and we are set apart to live differently than the world. That means we don't, as believers, we don't live a lifestyle of sin. That's what's commonly thought of as sanctification, being set apart from a lifestyle of sin. And while we know that at justification, we were considered righteous and we know that at glorification, all this old world will fall away and we'll be like Christ forever. While we're here on earth, we still wrestle with conforming ourselves to the image of Christ. So while some of sanctification is positional, that he says, you're righteous, you're holy, you're pure, you're just because Jesus is, and some sanctification will be perfected in our new glorious bodies, this part of sanctification that we're talking about is happening right now in our souls. And I want to show that to you in Colossians chapter three. Uh, Paul said, put on your new nature, which means you already have one and be renewed. Look at this as so be changed. So something's going on right now as you learn to know your creator and become like him. 
So there's a part that's already happened, but there's this part that Paul is assuming is going to continue as you get to know Jesus and as you become like him. So you've been born again, you've been saved, you have a new nature that's done, but there's this process to learning and knowing Jesus. So over and over, we're called as believers to conform to the image of Christ. He has to increase, we have to decrease. We have to die to ourselves and live in and through and for Christ. So a believer who is truly saved will begin to walk away from or put off their old ways of doing things. But this is where you have to be really careful, okay? You have to be really careful here. The salvation, the justification has to happen first. Salvation, remember, is for us, but it's not about us and it's not from us. Every aspect of salvation is by, uh, is by him. It, it's, it's by grace through faith. We didn't justify ourselves, we won't glorify ourselves, and we can't sanctify ourselves on our own. We work in cooperation with the Word of God and the Spirit of God through surrender and submission, through repentance and reflection. So you can't just make some changes in your life and declare yourself saved. That's not what that is. This, the Bible is not a self-help book. If you could get a self-help book and help yourself, there would be no reason for this book because this book is the opposite of a self-help book. This book declares you can't help yourself. As a matter of fact, you're dead. You can't fix dead unless you're Jesus. Death is final for everybody else, not for Jesus because he is the resurrection. And so this is not about changing yourself. It's not behavior modification. It's not following a checklist of rules and regulations. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ where we submit everything, our thoughts, our, our decisions, our lifestyles, everything, mind, will, and emotion gets submitted to Jesus and doing what he says, how he says it, when he says it, our change, our sanctification, if you will, is a result of and a continuation of what Jesus already did in your life. Does that make sense? All right. So it's learning to do because it's already been done. Okay. Not the other way around. It's not earning your way to salvation. It's not working. It's not by works. If it was, then we'd boast about it. It's all from him. So when he says go and live righteous, it's because you've been made righteous already. When he says be holy because I'm holy and you need to live holy, we already have been made holy through the righteousness of God. It's why Jesus said in, in John 15, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. It's why it's so a sanctified set apart life is always a part of salvation. I want to show it to you in Philippians chapter two, verse 12, Philippians two and 12, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard. This is the verse that in the King James says, um, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, you might have heard that when you were a kid. This is, this is what it says in the New Living Translation. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Now, which one came first? The salvation came first. Obeying God with deep reverence 
and fear for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do you notice that? That sanctification is empowered by Jesus. He's working, he's giving us the desire and the power to be sanctified, to live a life that's set apart. So what has happened through justification and will be completed through glorification, now we express it through sanctification. What's already taken place on the inside, we work hard to make sure we let it show on the outside. So we walk away from sinful habits. We walk away from selfish decisions. We walk away from carnal thoughts. That's, and, and we learn to express our new true identity through sanctification. Does that make sense? All right. Now there was a song, if y'all are old like me, there was a song in the 80s written by a guy named uh, Joel Hemphill. And it's, it's called, He's Still Working On Me. Y'all might remember that. Please don't sing that. Ain't nobody want to hear that. All right. So, but you're singing it in your head right now. And, and somehow it became a kid's ministry song because it is cute to hear kids sing, not just this, but pretty much anything. It, they're just cute. Uh, but I'm not sure why it got relegated to kids ministry because I've been saved for 45 years and that song is just as true of me today as it was when I was a kid. He is still working on me. Our re and, and you ain't fooling nobody, he's still working on you too, all right? Our reborn identity teaches me that I am a work in progress. Jesus paid it all. He's not asking us to go in half with him. He paid it all and he's accomplishing it all, but he's not finished with me yet. Salvation is again, is not a checklist. It's not so much a plan as it is a beginning of a relationship with an eternal savior. And I want to leave you with this. Paul said in first Corinthians chapter 13, that three things are going to last forever. What are those things? Faith, hope, love. Your faith in Jesus leads to justification, saved by grace through faith. Your hope in Jesus leads to, leads to glorification because that's gonna happen. Your love for Jesus leads to sanctification. If you love him, you do what he says. It's a past, it's a present, it's a future relationship with an eternal savior. That's the basis, that's the foundation of our reborn identity. Now, here's the takeaway today. Here's how it connects to identity. And this is, this is serious stuff, all right? That's all the foundation. That's the stuff you have to know. Here's the stuff you have to do. I'm afraid there are too many people in the church. There are way too many people in the South, way too many people in the world who have a false identity. They think they're saved because they said the magic words. They signed the card. They, they had this moment where they wanted to have their sins forgiven, where they wanted their guilt to be taken away. And they signed up for the Jesus who saves them from hell, but they weren't told about a relationship with a savior that demands your life. 
And so they sign up for something that, that the Bible doesn't ever promise. And so they walk around thinking they're saved, but they only understand it a little bit of justification. They don't understand sanctification. They don't understand glorification. They don't understand surrender and submission. And so they have a false identity. And so listen, this is, this is just person to person. This is human, human. I have to ask you today, are you truly saved? Are you really saved? Did you surrender to Jesus completely? Not just ask him to declare you, not just ask him to forgive you of your sins, commute your sentence, but to declare you not guilty, to bring you into relationship with him, to work in you, to work out what's already been done in you, to keep you close until he changes you completely and forever. That's what this book offers. And if you signed up for something less, then you didn't sign up for what was offered from the Bible. And I'm sorry that you've been deceived. This is what the word says. This is the truth that lasts forever. And so I want you to wrestle with this. I want you to stand. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.